Welcome back to the Fostering Financial Victories podcast. I'm Eric, your host. I am joined today by Thomas Brush and Rob Coleman. So Rob is a wealth coach on our team. And Thomas, uh, I'm excited, man, for you to join us. You've Thanks, got man. an interesting story. Uh, you are way more YouTube famous than we'll ever be. So we're <laughs> I, excited, man. Maybe, maybe not. So Rob, give a little background on Thomas, man. Uh, well, Thomas is a great friend and probably one of the most interesting uh, business owners that we've now had on the podcast. Just uh, uh, really excited for him to kind of tell his story and how it's morphed. Uh, and he's really succeeded of providing really good content that the consumers want throughout the pandemic and shifting his business model and being able to adapt and being nimble. Uh, but he's got a really cool story and we just want to highlight him and uh, hopefully some people can get some takeaways on just how to pivot in the small business space uh, yeah. and adapt to opportunities they see and providing the content that people are asking for. Yeah. All right, so two young kids. Yes. Right? Yeah. Small business owner. Yes. Um, I've done a little bit of research on you. It seems like you put out a uh, pretty extensive YouTube video almost daily is what it seems well, like. Well, I live stream daily. Yeah. So it's kind of different. We, like you do dedicated uploads. I do it like twice a month, a dedicated edited video. So as a dad, how in the world do you keep your kids to be quiet while you're doing this? Well, I'm thinking about renting a space now. <laughs> I mean, it's it, I don't. Like it's so funny because I'll be recording and – we were talking about this before we started yeah. uh, this stream is like authenticity is so important, especially to like Generation Z. Millennials care a lot about authenticity, I think, as well. And so hearing babies crying in the back of my videos adds that punch of authenticity. It's like this guy is a dad. He makes video games. He does YouTube. And his kids are screaming in the background. <laughs> so it's just that authenticity. So Cool. Yeah. So making video games streaming content yeah tell us how in the world you, you got to this point well <clears throat> it's 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 funny because having no no real escape but I'm the kind of guy who I think freedom is the most important thing to me I just want to be free and I want to do what I want to do and so having no real way to quit my job it felt like I was just so I was, I was stifled to a point where I had to figure out how to bring in some money so that I could quit my job and do what I wanted. So for me, it was always about sniffing out where the income was. And so I just, wherever there was an opportunity to make some money to do what I wanted to do, which was make video games and do YouTube, I would pursue that and kind of obsess about that. And so whether it was making YouTube videos and getting sponsorships from those videos, selling video games, um, publisher agreements, investors, figuring out all that stuff. Um, it, I, I don't think I would have been able to do it and figure out how to do it had I not wanted that freedom so badly. Yeah. You know? That so push. it's kind of like the necessity is the mother of invention. You just start figuring out ways to bring in income. Yeah. So uh, w when did you make your first game that you were able to <clears throat> publish or sell or turn into income? Yeah, so I was 18. I just turned 31, unfortunately, yesterday. Um, Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Birthdays aren't as exciting anymore, but... You just wait. Yeah, yeah. So wait. I just turned 31 yesterday, but um, I was 18 when I sold my first game. And by sell, I mean uh, I sold the license to a publisher. Um, and that publisher agreement kind of went south um and so I, I did get paid though i got paid and so at 18 
Yeah, at 18. Yeah. So it was like, you know, above 10,000 bucks. I can't say the exact number just because of the contract, but it was like above $10,000. And at 18, you're like, I'm rich. Like yeah. this is yeah. all I need for the rest of my life. But obviously, you know, that dries up pretty quickly. So I got paid at 18 for my first game. It was like a 15 minute game called Coma. It was a very small like internet game. And I was, I was amazed that I could make money off of it. And I thought that I was set, you know, I thought this is the plan. The plane has landed, I'm good to go. But once that money dries up, I went to Clemson, you know, had to pay my bills with that. And then after that, it was like, wait a second, it was, it's not as easy as that. It was yeah. kind of like, I just kind of maybe got lucky a little bit. Yeah. And so that's, I, I got married um, and got a regular job. And so that dream kind of fizzled out a little bit, mm -hmm. you know? But yeah, I was 18 with the first project. So you were writing code for video games before you had your desk job that kind of pushed you into the next e level. Right, so exactly. you already knew a little bit of background there. You didn't yeah, okay. yeah, and I had been, I've been doing animation and video games and digital art since I was in middle school. Um, and I went to a local school here in Greenville, um, Malden High School, Malden Middle, Malden High School. So I was doing that, I didn't have many friends, I was just doing digital stuff. You know, I would go home and make games and make animations, post them online. Um, but that's kind of how it all got started. Very cool. Yeah. All right, so you have now been doing this full time. Yeah. For how long? Five, six years, I think. That's awesome. Yeah. How, so how many games in that five or six year period have you created? Yeah, so after Coma, after I was 18, through Clemson and my desk job, um, I, did, I worked on one game and that game was called Pinstripe. It was about a minister who goes to hell to find his daughter. Kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams. It's kind of like that movie. It's very ethereal. He goes to, to hell to rescue his daughter. Um, and that took, <laughs> that took five years to make. Wow. And I was doing that. What was I doing there? It was, it was kind of just, it's all been a blur. But like, in, I would wake up early in the morning at like 5 a.m. And this comes back to what we were talking about earlier with that feeling of like, I gotta do what I wanna do. Mm -hmm. So I would get up early in the morning, the only hours I had not working my desk job. So early in the morning, I would get up five or six o'clock in the morning, then I'd, I'd sit in traffic and then I'd go to work and then I would work through lunch. I'd eat like a sandwich in my left hand and work with my right hand, make a game for that one hour of lunch break. And then I'd come home and um, it wasn't every night cause I was kind of whooped by the evenings, but a lot of evenings I would come home and work an additional hour on that game. So that game took five years. And then I sold it to a publisher. Um, and then the next game took about three years, or two and a half years, sold that to Apple. Um, and now I'm curr currently working on my third game. So it's, it's like a couple small games and then some bigger ones. And the, those bigger ones took years. Yeah. You know. So really started just making games yeah and then you saw opportunity and these people wanting content to learn one how to make games mm -hmm. and do all this so kind of tell everyone you know what you started doing as you're making these games yeah. and creating content for people to learn from you well i read tim ferris's book i don't know if you guys know tim ferris um but the four hour work week which you know that that right there tells you this the kind of guy this is, which is somebody who understands entrepreneurship and headlines and getting a click because, and he's great with digital content because the title of that book sells it, which is, is it possible to have a four hour work week? So I, I read that book, got really excited because it just gives you this whole other view of how to have freedom mm -hmm. and how to, how to be an entrepreneur and how to seek out income and create systems to generate that income. 
So I realized that all of the, all of the hard work that, it, I mean, it was, it was exhausting. Even going, you know, full, once I went full time, I did a Kickstarter campaign that raised uh, $106,000 and I was able to go full time. Once I went full time, I was still, still just really exhausted because I was doing it all alone. I wasn't finding any help to make, help make my game. Um, and this was, this was my first game, first commercial game, Pinstripe. And so I kind of realized slowly that even though these games are bringing in six figures a year, um, and uh, we, were, we were making more than, more than I had ever dreamed we could make financially, I realized that, and a friend had told me this, he said, um, what did he say? The quote is, the, it's not the gold rush you should be after, but you should be making the tools for the gold rush. That's where the, sort of the, the real, um, what, if you wanna build wealth, that's where the wealth is, is building the tools and the resources um, for making games. So half of my business model was I'm gonna make games, and then the other half was I'm gonna build resources to make those games, and I'm gonna sell them to my audience. And so that's when I um, really started focusing. I, I was doing YouTube prior to that, but I really started focusing on YouTube because there, is, there are so many kids out there, um, and by kids I mean like 15 to 30 years old, so you're, you're not a kid since you turned I'm not a kid yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> not a kid anymore, even though I feel like it. Yeah. Um, so there, there's, the, and you know, people older than that can definitely make games as well. But there are just kids out there who are so hungry to make video games. And so I was like, there's nothing, there, there's, there was a couple YouTube channels out there. But my YouTube channel, I started focusing primarily on encouraging, encouraging these kids that they can do it. Um, because I went through sort of, the insecurity of like I, I can't be a game developer like I can't I can't be an artist or an entrepreneur and it, any most people especially successful entrepreneurs they're gonna look back and they're gonna go yeah I felt those exact same feelings like I, I felt insecure too you, you don't become secure just randomly you actually have to learn it and go through the fire and so that's what I teach on my YouTube channel so the, the cycle of what you were doing now has evolved from now, instead of just strictly writing games and, and creating, it's throughout the process, basically documenting it and creating an income stream off the process. Yeah. So like, is that, that what I'm hearing? It's kind of like street art, uh, street uh, performance art, like street right. performance art or whatever you call that. Um, it's like if, if I was a painter and I went on the street and was painting and then on the side I said, oh, by the way, if you want to learn how to do this, here's some tools. Um, and you know, people like Bob Ross. You guys like Bob Ross, the painter? Did you ever watch yeah, Bob yeah. Ross? I've seen the videos. He's, he's not just making a TV show. He's selling all these other resources. I actually don't even know if that's true, but I bet you if the audience Googles it right now, they can find Bob Ross paintbrushes, Bob Ross everything. And that is why YouTube is so valuable. Instead of just trying to sell one thing, like a video game, you go, why am I not selling all the things? And just do YouTube. So what I do is I just stream, uh, stream about two to three hours a day. Of you working? Of me just making games. And I, it's, it sounds like it's easy. Oh, maybe it doesn't sound, it, <laughs> no. a lot of people are like, I'm gonna, I wanna try that. And then what you realize is you have to code and talk about what you're coding while you do it. With like, you know, it's not, every day it's like five to 6,000 views. So you've got a, a total of like 6,000 people who have watched, who are watching you and critiquing you in the comment section. Oh, yeah. So while I'm doing it, and I'm like talking about all the things I'm doing, I've got people like, don't do that, or you're doing it wrong, or you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so one of my mantras has become, and it's just, I guess, building a thick skin. One of my mantras is, don't tell me how to do what I'm doing. Um, I know I'm doing it wrong, but at least I'm getting it done. 
And I think that that's a huge theme for, I guess, my career, which is I'm not particularly smart. I think I'm kind of a moron. My wife will tell you that. Um, <laughs> that's a joke, honey. Um, but I'm kind of not, I don't have the smartest uh, or, or the best street smarts or common sense. But I guess the fortitude to get through all the failure is what has made me get where I'm at now. Um, and I think a lot of my students see that. They get to watch me fail publicly live every single day. And that's in turn what sells the products and sells the games. So that transparency, it, well, what is it? It, it gives that credibility mm -hmm. to the product. And that comes again back to what the future generations are gonna wanna see. And so transparency is the new marketing technique. And the, the problem with that is if people are truly transparent, they don't have much to offer. And so really it comes down to your offering has to be good. It has to be perfect, almost perfect, because you have to sell it in a transparent way. And kind of countercultural to what most social media has been. Right? Correct. Because you yeah. only see people Correct. post the fun and great stuff. Yeah. Right. So you're telling me, you, yeah, you yeah. only get the you only get the good stuff. Yeah. You but, don't get the uh, the pictures of the kids that uh, you know you've done this where you're trying to get family pictures and it takes 45 <laughs> minutes to get one of them to look I the right know. way. Right. I know, but the, I mean, I was listening to like I typed in Gen Z playlist on Spotify. I bet that was entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is what does the next generation want? Because I'm trying to I'm trying to find what the future generation because. The future generation is going to be such a digitally profitable generation. Um, they, everything's digital for them. Everything they purchase, well, a lot of stuff that they purchase well, is digital. I can tell you as a dad of four, I came home the other day and I looked down at my router, yeah. my Wi-Fi in-house. There were 24 instruments or whatever attached to my Wi-Fi. <laughs> and there's only six of us in the house. Yeah. So the, oh, it's, man. It yeah. Basically, the, we're all being sucked into the matrix. Whether we like it or not, it's going to happen. And so what I'm, the reason I had searched on Spotify a playlist is because I'm like, what are they listening to? What's the music sound like? And what I was captured by wasn't the music, but I was actually captured by the album artwork. Everything looks candid. Nothing's like posed. Yeah. It's all candid. It's all kind of dirt, uh, grungy and dirty. It kind of has an old, old school, like grungy 90s vibe. Old Nirvana. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like that old grungy, um, realistic, transparent look. And that's what they're looking for. And if you get on TikTok, I'm not a fan of TikTok, but I do put content on TikTok because I have to, because it's just what you do in the digital world. But TikTok is the same thing. It's transparency, being transparent. And you know, I'm, I'm even so transparent that I'm sitting here telling your audience what my marketing tactics are sure. to sell a product. Yeah. And I, I tell it to my audience. I'm like, I'm putting you guys into a sales funnel right now. I'm telling them this is what's <laughs> happening if you click that link below. But they, they know that and they understand that. And I even teach them about sales funnels sure. and how they relate to games. So, so consistency with, uh, I guess, the frequency of how much you post and when you post and do, do your live streams. Mm -hmm. Have you found that there's any sort of you know, silver lining on when do people actually, you know, tune in the most? Well, this is enough. It, it's a great question. And I, I've been learning about it this past month, actually. And I actually hired a guy to, to coach me on how to how to understand my audience. Um, what I've learned is uh, you're not your audience isn't Instagram, your audience isn't YouTube, your audience is your audience, it's who you collected. And so you you've got to. Well, first to answer your question is there's no set time, it's whatever your audience 
proves to be the best time. Okay. So you have to look at the analytics and the data. Mm -hmm. um, you guys look at finances and numbers in the stock market and you're analyzing all that stuff. And I'll ask Rob all the time, I'll be like, uh, should, I, should I get rid of this stock or should I pull out? And he's like, it's not that simple. Like we have to analyze every single one yeah. and the specifics and you can't just predict it based on some static metric. It's all variable and it's dependent on the portfolio. But for me, it's the is the audience, um, what, who is my audience? And I still have to dig into the data and look at who my audience is and then find out the best time for that particular audience. And again, it's not like my audience is game developers. My audience is my audience. It's the 250 some thousand subscribers I have. That's my audience. So I have to figure out the best time for that specific audience. Which is a big group of people. Yeah, It is a big group yeah. of people, but it's, it, it's so cool because these plat the reason these platforms are so powerful, almost scarily so, um, the reason they're so powerful is because they, they provide an audience, a very specific audience, to um, a company or a group or an individual like me. I have a very specific audience, and I have the power to say who that audience is. So you've really got to be thinking, who's ever listening to this podcast, if you want to build an audience, you need to be thinking right now who that audience is going to be. And you need to craft your content to gather that audience. If you're, if you're all about profitability, if, let's say your goal is profitability for 2021 or 2022, how do you get to that profitability and what does the audience look like to deliver that profitability? Once you can figure out who that audience is, the age, gender, uh, culture, all that stuff, once you figure out who that audience is, then you start crafting content to hit that specific audience. A big audience is not as valuable as a, um, a, a specific one that you want. I'd rather have 2,000 subscribers that are my clients, yeah. my students, as opposed to 100,000 that are just random people who watch TikTok all day. They're just stalking you. Yeah, because <laughs> if profitability is your goal, then they're not valuable. Sure. Yeah, but that doesn't have to be your goal. So I'm sure you have a lot of loyal subscribers and audience that are watching you create these games and then you turn around and sell these games. Mm -hmm. uh, does anyone ever message you or say, hey, I was able to win the game or beat this because I remember you creating it and I remember the ways around <laughs> uh, what you were creating in the game because they're like watching you build it from the ground up? No, because the last game that I launched was Neversong, which is on the Apple Arcade right now. We sold that to Apple. Um, and. What I did is for the last, you know, portion of the game, I didn't live stream the ending mm. because it's like that's like major spoilers. Yeah. So I, I my goal for my next game, which is called Father, um, and and that game is about this uh, this dad whose daughter goes off to some cr creepy. Um, she gets a full ride to an Ivy League school, but he's never heard of this college before, and so he has to go. He she doesn't come home for Christmas break, and so he goes to this cultish. College, kind of a horror game. He goes to this cultish, cultish college campus, and it's just zombies and like vampires and stuff. And he has to find his daughter. Um, so she's she's in this creepy college. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm live streaming the creation of this entire game. That's the goal. Yeah. Live stream the, the entire thing. thing. So in this case, yeah, probably people yeah. will probably figure out what the twist is because I like to put twists in my games. 
Um, I kind of want to be the M. Night Shyamalan of video games. I don't know if you've ever seen The Sixth Sense or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember the twist ending. He was uh, like five. He was, he, no, no, no. No, you, you were probably yeah, my no, age. I watched it. It was, <laughs> yeah. like the, it was a surprise ending because it's like he was dead the whole yeah. time. Yeah. So I, I'm, I, I, I always wonder, what would it be like if people like M. Night Shyamalan live-streamed filming? Like, it's kind of meta, but like filmed themselves directing. Yeah. And what would happen to the twist ending? What I do, this is really fun, it's kind of off topic, but what I like to do is get ideas from my audience and put them into the game. So that's, that was one of my questions is, do you come up with all of the, the angles and the content or what do you, like, do you have a group of people that you just bounce ideas off of? You're like, well, hey, the, what, what do you think about this? The group of people is 500, I'm sorry, 5,000 people who show up okay. during a live stream. So you're just asking. Yeah, 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 and the, the, this is what's so great is I've always been like, how do I make a game that goes viral? How do I make a game that's awesome and that everybody loves? The best way to do it is to just have your audience make it. That's a great point. And and that is that's the the thing that Gen Z is going to figure out is they're going to go. I I'm not going to come up with my product. I'm just going to have my audience tell me what the product should be. And as long as I'm being true to myself and taking those ideas, I'm going to create an evergreen product. Product creation across the board, but especially digital, it needs to be created by your audience. So you need to find that audience. Um, and you guys, you guys listen to your clients. It's the same thing. Listen to, if you can listen to 20 clients, that's great. But if you can listen to five, uh, 200,000 clients, you're going to create a rock solid product. That's my theory, at least. So that's what I'm doing with my next game is live stream the whole thing, take their ideas, and hopefully they'll buy it. And then more people will buy it because they bought it. Does that make sense? And they can say, hey, I helped create this. Yeah, exactly. Well, and hopefully I won't get sued. But <laughs> You get a little disclaimer in the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. If you put an idea in the chat box, it's it. mine <laughs> for free. I own it. <laughs> My channel. So I know you uh, kind of talked about this where you were building the games mm -hmm. and you were live streaming. You were always kind of doing that. But uh, you hinted at your students. Kind of tell how with the pandemic, the content you saw people wanting and how you kind of shift the model a yeah. little bit you know, a little over a year ago. Uh, yeah, the pandemic, I mean, it's it's an unfortunate truth that digital digital companies and, and especially digital education platforms, they profited from it. I mean, and, and the tech companies and Amazon, they all blew up um, in a good way for them. And that's just what happened is everybody was at home, so they just started consuming content. YouTube viewership was up like crazy. And um, the pandemic, yeah, I mean, it. What it informed me of, and I think it informed the audience, or I guess anybody who's thinking about college um, in that age group, I think the pandemic said, well, hang on, do I want to go to college this year? You know, I'm kind of nervous. I don't want to get sick. So what it did is people started experimenting. First off, everyone experimented with remote working. I'm sure you guys did as well. Everybody worked remote. Sure. But also the education turning into a remote platform as well. I think it made people realize, I can get all this knowledge, just take a course online. And so that's one of the reasons um, why I, I started working on the course. It wasn't because of the pandemic, but I was, I was encouraged by the remote working atmosphere and also the remote learning atmosphere that I was watching on the news. I was like, well, seems like people are hungry for this kind of stuff. So I think <laughs> video lectures for me personally, and I, that's what I offer my students. In addition to video games, I offer them, you know, um, uh, just a 30 plus hour online course where I just talk to a camera. 
that kind of content for me personally is the best way for me to learn because I can rewind, I can pause it, write down notes. And that kind of, I, I have no idea why we're not doing that like as a cheaper alternative to college. And I guess we are now. Online, online learning is becoming very popular. Um, but yeah, like my, my platform, the program that I offer, which is called Full-Time Game Dev, um, it was propelled by the pandemic, unfortunately. I mean, it's sad to say it, but it's true. It's what happened. So, yeah. But at the same time, people were looking for that. They yeah. were. Yeah. So you're offering something that people need, yeah. you yeah. know, but it, it, it just, it always feels sour thinking about it. Like the pandemic made digital products more valuable. You well, know? I don't think it should feel sour. I think it's more opportunistic, right? So you yeah. see, you know, you see an, a need, you feel a need mm -hmm. and you were already doing it anyway. Yeah. So it just became a, well, maybe I should focus this way yeah. to, to give them what they're asking for. Right. I mean, that's, and that's, um, that's what people are asking for. And, and it's I, smart business. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And I think that, um, for, for careers that aren't necessarily like engineering or becoming a doctor or anything like that, that's a CPA, that kind of thing. Other jobs, there's, there's ways to get education outside of getting a $40,000 loan from a college. And I think people are realizing that now and they find programs like mine that are like 400, 500 bucks. And they're like, I would rather risk that than 40 grand and commit to these student loans. And I can do it on my own time. Exactly. And work or Ex do whatever. Exactly. Exactly. No, that um, makes sense. Yeah. It does. Um, okay. So when you, uh, all right, so the YouTube space, right? I know my, my two boys love watching random stuff. Oh, where, they do? I mean, they'll watch video game stuff. run around playing um, yeah. Nerf guns or whatever. Like, I mean, it just <laughs> yeah. blows my mind. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> what's one of the most surprising things you have found? whether it be a good surprise or a bad surprise with your experience of that YouTube world? Um, the, the sad, maybe it's not a sad thing. Maybe it's a good thing. People have, that's where their friends are like, and they don't even meet their friends. Hmm. It's like, no, my friends are all digital. Like they're, it's just text. I think that's, that's the most surprising thing. Like I have loyal people who show up every day. And that's that's their friend, the friend same group. ones. Yeah, and that's and I recognize their. I don't know their names, but I know like their their screen name. Um, so like uh, Nerf Boy Three Thousand or whatever, he shows up. I'm just making up a name, but he'll show up every day, and he's got his little friend group. Um, so I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, in a way, I'm like, hey, if that's how you want to socialize, that's great. It's better than not having friends. Mm -hmm. um, but there's sort of a moral question, which is like. Do we need to be face to face to have true friendship? I think we do personally, but people show up all the time and that's their friend group. Um, and this is, I don't see this going away. This digital matrix. I was talking to my wife about it. I was like, we're already in the matrix. Cause I'm st I, personally, I'm staring at my phone all half right. the day. Yeah. Well, when I'm at, like, I put my kids to bed and I'm like back on my phone and I was just looking at my computer for eight hours. If that's not the matrix, I don't know what is. I'm literally in this digital, it's, it's a flat screen, but I'm in it. And I'm like, this is this, and this is also my business model. So it just makes you wonder, like, is this, th how does this go away? It's first off, it's profitable for companies to pursue the digital world. It's very profitable because the cost is very low to create a digital product. I mean, if you can, if you can create, once you're done with the hard costs of creating a digital product, what you have available is basically 98% return on your investment. You sell a product and you, it costs you nothing. Maybe it costs you some ad spend, 
maybe the server space to keep it up online. But it's such a cheap product to sell for you. How does that go away? It's not going to go away. So the companies that choose to embrace this, making digital products and selling them via social media platforms, they're going to succeed. And the companies that don't will slowly, slowly start to, I guess, shrivel on the vine. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things that I've noticed, you know, thinking back to my my childhood, teenage years, when video games were starting to become, you know, more mainstream, right? First PlayStation, those type of stuff. Yeah, things, yeah. Right? You used to be able to just buy the disc, buy the game, you're done. Yeah. You play it for as long as you want. Yeah. Now, with Xbox Online, all these things, you have to have some sort of a online presence or a subscription service to play yeah. the video game. Like, you can yeah. go buy it. But you can only play it for you know the, the limited version. Right. So it's it's really interesting where companies have shifted yeah. to create more of a revenue stream long term. Yes, exactly. The subscription model is here to stay um, for at least the next next decade. Um, one of the reasons I think it's profitable is because, and I don't do one of these for my students because of what, of about what I'm about to say, which is. I mean, you guys probably know this. You've probably got a couple subscriptions you forgot about. Oh, and they're just I'm sure pulling do. money out of yeah, your account. I'm sure we do. And so, in a way, we've turned into like what's the word? Surfs. It's like you're paying all of these rental fees to all these lords, <laughs> and you forget you forget that you're even doing it. Um, and and I think that's a very pro- it's very profitable for these businesses to do that. So, what about the uh, the other phenomenon with kids? And I say they're kids. They're not. Yeah, but. I just referenced it because of the age of my kids, is how much money is spent on in-game purchases. Oh, my word. Can you talk to that at all? Well, I'll, I don't do that for my games, um, p- partly because I am kind of morally opposed to it, to be honest. It's it, amazing, the numbers. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but, I mean, EA Games got in big trouble about this. EA Games, they make all, like, the, the AAA shoot 'em up games and the sports games. They had stuff called... Uh, it was called loot crates. And there are these beautiful crates that show up after a match. They, they're, but they're just 3D. They're not real. But they're so <laughs> shiny and they look so pretty. And it's like you can buy them. And But the thing, what, what EA got in trouble for is it, they turned it into a lottery where it's like if you buy it, you like you spend a dollar or something. I don't even know what the price was. Maybe you'll get something like a new outfit for your character. But maybe you won't. So all of a sudden EA was... A casino for kids. <laughs> I had not heard this yeah. one. So they got in big trouble for that. But I see um, kid, my kids play video games, and they're always wanting to buy things in a game. And I, I just can't wrap my head around it. Yeah. And they'll, they'll want to spend all of their money they get for birthdays. Oh, can I go buy this in the game? Yeah. You, you can't get it out of the game. I know. Yeah. But that's the thing is, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a philosophical question, which is, what is the difference between a physical item and a digital item? to a younger person. Well, a digital item is, is quicker, it's faster, it's, it knows them better because behind the scenes there's AI that knows exactly yeah. what they want. Oh, no doubt. So <laughs> I don't see, unless there's <clears throat> like some weird laws that come out, there's no way to stop this train. It's, it's, it's going fast. And uh, it, the, I've, I've been asking myself this, do I want to participate in this? Because I know how to. I know I, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a digital entrepreneur. I know how to participate in this, but do I want to? Yeah. I don't think I do. So I like selling education products. I like selling video games that are like classic games. Maybe I'll bite my tongue here, but I don't think I'm going to do these whole loot crates and digital in-game digital. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I want to do that. 
So. <laughs> so we know you're working on a game now. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Without sharing the details of it or a spoiler, when do you think it will come out or uh, be finished with the game you're working on right now? I think, well, to answer your question, short, uh, short answer is like hopefully next year. But my primary goal with the game is not to release a game. I mean, I want to I'm going to release a game. But the, the goal is actually the performance side of it. Which, and, and it's such a weird thing because I thought that it, building a product is about getting the product done and putting it onto the shelves. But for me, it's like, no, 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 building the product is actually what's profitable right mm -hmm. now um, <clears throat> because you're, you're, you're building an audience and that audience will eventually convert and buy the product. Um, but that audience is also saying, hey, you know what? Like 1% of that audience says, I want to learn how to make games too. And so you're selling a product, a, a, an online course, while you spend as long as you want making a game. You could just spend years making this game, and it's just a billboard. That's all it is. And mu like pop musicians are doing this right now. I don't know. Um, it wasn't Justin Bieber, but there's a, there's a pop musician right now of that caliber. And if you look at his descriptions in the YouTube videos, he's selling training too. They're all selling training. Um, and they're realizing they can sell these high-value training courses, but all, their, their artwork is just a billboard for this buried in the description. And if they can get 1% of their audience to click that and buy, it's a profitable business model. So you've shifted, you know, when you were working your day job and then doing the games outside of work hours, mm -hmm. you were probably trying to get the product done as quick as possible to release it. Yeah, and now gotta make some money. Yeah, yeah. now and, it's changed. And now you're like, I'm gonna sh yeah. string this I'll out. Go, I'll go so far as to say is, um, and I'm not gonna do this, but it's more profitable to let it, to draw it out. Yeah. And just like spend years just making one game. Um, content is, is your best friend right now. So the more content you can come up with, especially, see a lot of YouTubers, the ones that are popular, they found that gold mine of content. Um, this, especially like political commentators, they, they've got a gold mine of content because every day they've got a new post from Fox News or CNN that they can rant about. It never ends. It yeah. never ends. <laughs> yeah. And that's why they're, they're so wealthy is yeah. they've, got a, they've got a gold mine of content. And so a lot of times YouTubers think, well, I, I need to just find that one viral video that I can make. And it's like, that's not enough. You've got to have infinite, basically infinite content. And that's why I think the podcast that you guys are doing right now is really great because you can meet all these different kinds of entrepreneurs and tell their story. And that's, that to me is a gold mine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I know you've got to get, uh, get on YouTube today. I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> yeah. you haven't done I, it yet. I've got a couple videos yeah. to do today. Yeah. <laughs> so if, uh, Coleman, do you have anything else, man, from a no. question perspective? All right. So couple things, man. Everybody mm -hmm. that we have interviewed gets two <clears throat> questions. All right. And I'm assuming you may already know these. Um, if you don't, I don't. that's okay. This is great. I'm, I'm a little yeah. nervous now. Yeah. So if you could buy anything in the world, regardless of how much it cost, what would it be? It sounds lame, but I just want a, a, a Gladiator Rubicon, a, a Jeep Gladiator Rubicon. And it's not like, I guess I should have chose like a mansion, right? Yeah. I, I, I just want that Rubicon Listen, so bad. I, I, I think I know where you're going with this. Jeep, if you're listening, right? Some, some sponsorships. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. We, I, I know where you're going. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I thought I wanted a Ford Bronco. But so then I guess you go get both of them in here. But then, then I realized they're never going to launch the Ford Bronco. Yeah, they have the Sport, but it's not the same. No, it's not yeah. the same at all. Um, but I, I want the Jeep okay. Gladiator Rubicon with 30, I think 37 inch tires. Uh, He's getting specific, Jeep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, all right. And last two things you spent money on. Diapers. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I'm getting some land. All right. So. Nice. Buying some dirt. Yeah, yeah. buying some dirt. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So, Thomas, thank you, man, for joining yeah. us. Guys, if you have any questions or comments or suggestions on topics that you'd like for us to cover, you can find us at our website at fostervictorwa.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Foster Victor Wealth Advisors. Um, Thomas, tell everybody how they can contact you or find you. They could just uh, Google search Thomas Brush, and the YouTube link should show up right away. Just click YouTube, and that's where I'm at most of my day. There you go. All right. awesome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, See you guys. next time. Information contained in this podcast was intended for general use, not to be used as specific advice. For content tailored to your personal situation, please contact one of our wealth coaches.